follow us also on our our website at lighthousediscipleship.org where we have also all of our previous Bible study sessions recorded and archived and as well as our YouTube channel at uh, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. Uh, we will, uh, again, we'll be, we'll be in chapter 8 tonight on, uh, <coughs> excuse me, God's New Wine. Uh, we only have two chapters left, so depending on how far we get tonight, we'll We'll get closer to the finish line with this book. And then our next book will be Effortless Change. So whenever we finish this one, we're just going to go right into this one. Uh, I'll have a better start today as we get a little bit closer to the finish line with this guy. Uh, but we, anyway, we have those. If, you, if you've been following us online and you would like these books, uh, we can order those for you. Just reach out to us, to Messenger. When I put something in the comments, we'll connect with you. Uh, we can get these books for you, and we can uh, get these books uh, for half off uh, for you as well. So, uh, anyway, or uh, depending on what the need may be. But if you, if you, want, if you want anything, uh, uh, just uh, connect with us, and we can get your book uh, for our next Bible study so you can follow us on. Follow, follow us. But anyway, uh, without further ado, we'll, we'll be in Chapter 8 tonight in God's New Wine. And then uh, I'm just trying to think if there's something else I wanted to announce along those lines. I, I'm getting a little afternoonitis right now, so I think I need a little bit of recharge. But uh, anyway, uh, we good, Sherry? Yes, we are. So anyway, once Sherry gets uh, settled here, we'll get how she'll read for us and narrate for us, and uh, then we'll talk about it. So we're talking about Tunic of God in Chapter Eight. If you're following the book, if you have one, uh, and God's new wine. So, all right, Sherry. All right. We've been learning about the nature and the character of God and the reason for understanding his true nature. We have seen how God has dealt with mankind from the time of Adam to the present. There has been and still is a lot of confusion on this and that's why a lot of people don't understand the real nature of God. We know now why most people think God is kind of schizophrenic. He acts one way under the Old Covenant and another way under the New Covenant and many people try to combine the two covenants without much success. We've also seen that the Old Testament complements the New Testament and points toward the, the New Covenant. The Old Testament prepared the way for the New Testament, but if we try to live under the New Covenant and the Old Covenant at the same time, it's like taking new wine and putting it into old wineskins. The old wineskins are going to burst and the wine will run out. It's like trying to sew a new patch on an old piece of clothing. When the clothing is washed and dried, the new patch is going to shrink, but the old fabric doesn't have any shrinkage left. The garment will tear. That's exactly what Jesus was speaking of when he taught these parables in Luke 5, 36-39. The religious leaders were trying to get him to operate under the Old Testament traditions and doctrines. When Jesus said new wine can't be put into old wineskins, he was talking about the new covenant and the old covenant. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Proverbs 16.6 6. This is powerful if we really think about it and analyze it. The first part says that by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. The only way we'll ever be transformed is from the inside out by mercy and truth, because it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. The last part of this verse says that by the fear of the Lord, people depart from evil. By wrath, judgment, condemnation, and fear, we can get people to depart from evil. So God gave the Old Testament law an administration of wrath and condemnation to keep people out of sin. It dealt severely with people's sins. Not because that was God's true attitude or the way God really felt about us, but it instilled fear in us that kept us from going into sin. The law restrained the growth of sin in the earth and made us depart from evil, but it couldn't do anything to change the inner man, to really change our desires and work the transformation on the inside of us God desires. The law was completely impotent to do that. The New Testament books of Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews show that the Old Testament law was weak and unprofitable, that it was ready to vanish away. Galatians 3.12 says that the Old Testament law is not of faith. Romans 14.23 says that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. These are strong statements. 
for its purpose, the Old Testament was all right, but it was totally incapable of changing it on the inside. Mercy and truth do that. All the law did was to make us depart from evil for a time and reveal our need for a Savior. But when Jesus came into our lives with mercy and truth, sin was purged from our inner man. Anyway, again, thank you for joining us tonight. We're uh, continuing our Bible study on the uh, new you. I mean, sorry, that's Sunday. I mean, Wednesday night. The, the true nature of God. I uh, talked about the new wine. And then, you know, there's a scripture, and I don't, uh, I don't think Andrew quoted it. It's in Matthew. But he, t- he compares uh, the new, uh, put, it talks about putting new wine in old wineskins. You can't do that. Otherwise, the wineskins will burst. And, it, uh, he, and when Jesus talks about that, he's actually comparing the Old Testament with the New Testament. Uh, the book of Hebrews does more justice on comparing these two covenants. Uh, we are in a better covenant. Uh, and you know, throughout this book, you know, especially at the beginning, you know, Andrew was comparing how that can be confusing to, to some people, where it seems like God's acting one way in the Old Testament and acting another way in the New Testament, and it sounds like he has two personalities and uh, uh, whatnot. <coughs> and... You know, the best way I, I like to explain it for me is I, I, when I understand the God in the New Testament, I can better understand the God in the Old Testament. A lot of people want to start with the book of Genesis and start at the beginning. And not usually how you start a book. You usually start at the beginning. But the Bible's different. And I, I believe it's better for us to understand the God in the New Testament. And then it'll be easier to see the God in the Old Testament. And you'll have a New Testament perspective. You know, and when you try to combine, when you try to live by both covenants, and that's, I've done this myself, I've done this for years, live both covenants. I don't realize I'm doing such a thing most of my life, but I'm really combining the two covenants together, and it's a mixture, and first of all, it doesn't work. And uh, it's like putting new wine in old wineskins, and it just bursts. It, it doesn't work. And the wine spills out, and it's all, it's all just a waste in one sense. You know, and so uh, it's confusing, it's frustrating, uh, spiritually speaking, because I'm like, God, who are you? <laughs> Why is it not working? Who am I? And I just, I didn't realize it for years, but I was just lost. I mean, I was born again as a young believer, as a young, uh, <laughs> I said that wrong, as a child, thank you. I'm not talking straight tonight, I think I need a nap. But at the same point in time, you know, it's just a, I, I, uh, I read my Bible all my life. I, I, I used to read every year. I used to, uh, and I mean, I wasn't, uh, I missed some days in there, but I, I did read it. And I did read it all the time. I knew the stories. I had been to uh, church all my life. I went to Sunday school all my life. I knew, I knew the stories. I knew the scriptures. Um, and so, but I, I can't say I always knew God uh, personally. It wasn't really until high school that I really remember having a conversation with God. And, uh, <coughs> but anyway, it just, I didn't even put heads and tails to it, even in the last few years, of just really getting to know God, and, and I didn't really see the, two, the difference between the two covenants. Uh, but there was a reason why God acted the way in the Old Testament, because of sin, and Christ hadn't come yet. And so, you know, the Old Testament is a foreshadow, and I, I say this all the time, the best way I know the the, the to, to make a picture of a shadow is watching the, the movie or uh, the cartoon Peter Pan. Peter Pan <coughs> is trying to tr- chase his shadow. I know that's a cartoon and a fantasy type of, of movie. But you see his shadow. His shadow has a silhouette of Peter Pan. But it's not Peter Pan. <laughs> Peter Pan is in 3D. He's in, in real life color, flesh, and blood. Of course, I know that again we're talking about a cartoon. We're talking about a fictional character. But my shadow, you know, the light shining in such a way my shadow is going to show up on the wall. Uh, that shadow is not me, but the shadow looks like me. It has appearance of me, but it's not me. Uh, hopefully I look better than my shadow, you know. But at the same point in time, the, the, the Old Testament is a foreshadow, meaning it happened before. And, and, and the, uh, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, he doesn't change, the Bible says. He changes not. But the covenant has changed. The covenant is better, it says in Hebrews chapter 10. We are under a better covenant. Christ fulfilled the law. Christ fulfilled the old covenant. We have a better covenant. 
And, and when we're talking about the true nature of God, we need to know his nature. God was, his wrath poured out on sin in the Old Testament. We see that over and over again. Why don't we see it in the New Testament? Because the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus for us. Jesus is the covenant of God. We celebrate communion. Most churches I grew up with, we celebrated once a month on the first Sunday. But we celebrate communion as, a, as an ordinance, and it's called a table of remembrance. We do this in remembrance of his body that, <coughs> excuse me, that was broken for us, and his, the blood of his covenant. There's a lot about covenant that we need to understand. And when we understand covenant better, we'll understand who God is and his nature. And God operates out of covenant. God said he's honored his word above his name. And so he, he, he will keep his word. He operates out of covenant. And we have a covenant relationship with God. And again, let me give you another example of covenant just real quick. And I'll, I'll switch gears. David, when he came on the scene of Goliath, he had a covenant relationship with God. And he knew this uncircumcised Philistine had no business defying the armies of the living God. He knew he was going to get the victory. Not because of what, how big Goliath was or how small or young he was. He knew he was going to have the victory because he knew his covenant with God. That Saul, King Saul, and the armies of Israel had that same covenant. But they weren't establishing it. They were wallowing in fear. They were insecure. And so they just let the, the, that giant taunt them for 40 days. But David knew his covenant relationship with God. And, and because he knew his covenant relationship with God, he knew God's nature. We read the Psalms and how beautiful they are. And one thing I like about David, David's just right. I mean, he just says it like it is. Some of the Psalms start out with him, it looks like he's complaining. You know, but he doesn't stop there. He encourages himself in the Lord. But I like it. He, he's just honest. There's some song, psalms that I've read. When I'm down, I'm discouraged, I'm emotional. And I, I, and I read the psalms. And I'm like, I'm right with you, David. You're reading my mouth. But then he doesn't stay there. He encourages us to, to put our trust in God, to put our focus on God. Why? Because David knew his covenant. David had hard times. He had King Saul accuse him of things he didn't do, was trying to kill him. Uh, he had different things happen. He had a lot of pressure as a king. Uh, <coughs> but he knew how to trust God. And because he knew his nature. And he knew his nature because he knew that his covenant relationship he had with God. And so I know there's some more I can piggyback on. Uh, going back to the new wine. We're in a new wine. And we, we need, we, you know, we, it's important that we understand the difference between these two covenants. And Andrew starts to bring out about the law. You know, the law the law points us to Jesus so that we can live under the new covenant. The law is still good. The law is still holy. But the danger of the danger is that you think by keeping the law that you're going to become holy. That's Nothing can be further from the truth. You can't become holy and righteous because you keep the law. But now that we are righteous and holy, we still keep the law. Not to become holy, but because we are holy. We still don't murder. We still don't bear false witness. We still don't commit adultery. We still don't do, I'm just going through some of the ten, top ten commandments, but we still don't do these things not to become holy, but because we are holy. And so uh, the only thing that can make you holy is Jesus. And so when you, but God doesn't pour out his wrath on sin like he did before, because Jesus did. Now there will come a day when there will be a great white throne judgment, and there will be a judgment on those who reject Jesus. But we're now under grace, the covenant of grace, the covenant of, of Christ. And so we, uh, God is going to operate according to that covenant. And, uh, uh, you know, we have put faith in what Christ did. You don't put faith in what you're doing. Put faith in what Jesus has done. Because that's the covenant. That's, and that's what, that's what's going to work. If you put, if you have faith, but your faith is in the wrong object, if your faith is in the wrong person, if your faith is in the wrong person, I think I just said that, uh, it, it's not going to work. Uh, put your faith in Christ and what he did, and it will work. Put your faith in the covenant you have with God, and it will work. And that's how God's going to operate. He's going to operate out of this covenant he has with us. And so, you know, you want to add?
Oh, I always want to go off on so many tangents uh, because Dave and Andrew always bring out such good stuff and, and my mind just gets excited about every different thing. Uh, you know, one thing about David is he understood God's mercy. Even though he knew he deserved, say, God's wrath or punishment for his own sin, he always fell back on not just trusting in God, but trusting God's mercy. That no matter, even if he deserved something, he knew that his God was loving and merciful and would still forgive him. Um, and, and, you know, Andrew's uh, heart is to try to show us that there is really one God, even though it seems like there's a God with two personalities. You know, as a, as a young child, um, you know, I was like Dave. I, I was saved young. And um, thankfully, my parents encouraged us to, to get in the Word of God ourselves. And, and I would read the Old Testament, I'd read the New Testament, and I would think, you know, why is there seeming to be, you know, God mean in, in the Old Testament, but God loving in the New? But then I would read scriptures like God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I would try to reconcile the, the two gods that I saw but the thing that really struck my heart is in John uh, chapter 5, <coughs> Jesus in verse 19, um, 19 to 20, it says, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. Jesus himself is saying, whatever God does, whatever God says, God shows me so I can do the same, so I can do likewise. And if you read the four Gospels and you just focus on Jesus and his life, and if he's the picture of God in the flesh, then the wrathful, vengeful God that people portray him at doesn't fit Jesus. Jesus himself did everything that the Father did and said. He mirrored, so to speak. You know, as a little little kid, you see your, what your parents do and you try to mimic them. And... You know, it's fun seeing my two nephews, uh, one just turned three today, and you can see how they observe their parents, how they observe other people, and then they follow and, and emulate them. And I see my, my brother uh, and my sister and my other nephew, just uh, how they've, they've um, led their children by example, and you know, I, I get Jesus, you know, here in John 5 is an adult, but Jesus himself says, I only do what my father does. And when you take in consideration God's mercy, and, you know, both Dave and Andrew uh, talked about the, God's truth and God's mercy, but in, in John 1, in verse 17, it says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus Christ is part of the Godhead. He is God the, the Father as God the Son. And yet, when he came to earth as a man, grace and truth came. And it's the truth that you know that will set you free. And when we know God the Father as God the Son and see everything that Jesus did he only got from the Father it even says and I think uh, I have it in my notes but Dave referred to it this morning that the Holy Spirit is the same way he only tells us or shows us what the Father himself gives him authority for and the Holy Spirit just doesn't go off on, on tangent it's whatever he sees the Father do and say it's a Father's authority and words that are given to the Holy Spirit to give to us. And so, 
you know, this whole lesson on the true nature of God, both the Holy Spirit and Jesus are showing us God's true nature by themselves, by their character, by what they do. And uh, it's just amazing to me how when we know the truth, it will definitely set us free. Um, you know, I just want to piggyback before we get on to the next section, uh, just this whole idea of mercy and truth. And uh, those are just two things. I mean, I just love the, the, both those topics. But, uh, you know, because it's, it's mercy and truth that's going to change us from the inside out. You know, one thing I compare about change, when I talk about change, um, you know, I, we just finished Christmas. But a lot of people during Christmas time get a Christmas tree. And I love Christmas trees. But... The Christmas tree was really a fake, um, in a sense. Now, now I know you can get a real tree versus an artificial tree, but you de you decorate a Christmas tree with ornaments or thing, items that are not of its own nature. You decorate it with ornament or light bulbs and garland and ornaments of various kinds, but they're not the uh, a, 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 a evergreen tree doesn't grow those things naturally. But a fruit tree grows fruits from within. Religion can be something that uh, you, ch you change something on the outside. But Christianity and God's mercy and grace changes us from the inside. You can actually, you can actually do it, if you do it properly, you can take the branch off an apple tree and graft it into an orange tree, and that branch will produce oranges. Because the, the nature is within, it flows through the, 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 the branches, the sap through the sap. If you do it right, you graft and graft it in that. And we're engrafted into Christ. And if we're going to change, if our life is going to change, if our behavior is going to change, if different things are going to change, we need to change from the inside out. And God does that by His grace and His mercy, not by the law. And He goes on to say here, and this is a whole teaching in itself, and I got to spend a lot of time on this. But in Galatians 3.12, it says that the Old Testament law is not of faith. But Romans 14.23 says, whatever is not of faith is sin. We are saved by grace through faith. By faith in His grace. And that is of faith. And the law is not of faith. But anything that's not of law is sin. Now, are we saying the law is sin? No. But at the same point in time, if... You know, the book of Hebrews talks about sin, and they talks about it in the singular form. And there's really one sin, and that's not believing in God. There was only one sin that kept them out of the promised land, and that was the sin of unbelief. And so, uh, you know, when you are trusting in what you're doing by keeping the law, you're not putting your faith in Christ. And the law was given so that it showed us that we need a Savior, that we were helpless, we were hopeless without Christ, and that we needed a Savior. And so the law, uh, the law is not going to teach you to put faith, I mean, the law leads you that you need a Savior, uh, but by keeping the law, it's not, you know, by keeping the law, you're putting your, if that's all you think your, your Christianity is hanging on, your salvation is hanging on what you're doing by you keeping the law, then you're putting your faith in you. We need to put our faith in Christ. And uh, and so we still want to keep the law because we, like I just already said a minute ago, we live holy because we are holy, not become holy. And so, but anything that's not a faith is sin. And that's really what, what and, and, and we need to put our faith in Christ and what he's done. And, and when we are trying to put New Testament principles in an Old Testament system, it just won't work. Uh, in one sense, we're, thinking, we're saying that Christ wasn't enough, that Christ didn't do anything, but he did do something. And it's a brand new covenant. And it's a brand new way to relate to God because Christ became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Everything changed at the cross. The cross changed everything. And I'm changing what he did. And when I tr trust what he did, by his grace and his mercy, he will change my life. He'll change my behavior. He'll change my attitudes from the inside out. You know, Joseph Prince says a lot, and I, I, I agree with that. And Andrew says it too. Uh, 
right living, uh, I'm back to how he says it, but uh, uh, right living is, is a result of right believing. I know I'm not saying exactly how he says it, but we need to believe right so we can live right. And so, uh, so there's a lot I can say about that. Let's go ahead and do some more, Sherry. Uh, if you're ready, unless you have something. Uh, I do, just a couple quick things. Okay. Um, you know, Dave and Andrew, uh, me too, we're, we're trying to help you understand the two covenants, the old covenant versus the new. And in, uh, in Hebrews, Chapter 8, I think it's verse 6, if we could turn there real quick. You know, we this is not to put down this uh, hotel that Dave and I stayed at um, one time during COVID, and I, I'm just using it as an example. You know, before, we all understand there's rules because of COVID. It's for everyone's safety. But before COVID, uh, a lot of hotels would offer a free breakfast. And this hotel, under the COVID rules, said, you know, we can't do that, but we can give you, like, a, a boxed or a bagged breakfast. <coughs> and um, I wasn't trying to be mean or sarcastic, but, you know, I, I went downstairs, picked up the bags, took it back to the room so Dave and I could eat our breakfast. And when I opened the, the, the bag, Dave saw my face, and I just kind of had a weird laugh because it it was food, uh, but it wasn't what I considered a breakfast. And, um, you know, bless, bless their hearts. They could only do what, what they could do. The old covenant could only do what it could do. The new covenant which why I brought you to Hebrews uh, chapter 8, I think it's verse 6. Wait, wrong chapter. It says, but now he, capital H, just talk about Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant. You know, a better breakfast is... Me making Dave pancakes and Dave cooking the bacon just how I like it. That is a better breakfast than that bagged breakfast we got. And it's a very silly example. Uh, and it doesn't even compare to the Old Covenant and New Covenant. But there is such a difference. And when God himself in his word says a better covenant... Can I just ask, would you like to get by on a covenant? Or would you like the better covenant that you didn't have to do a thing over except believe? Jesus did all the work. He took all our sin at the cross. He took all the wrath of God on the cross. And he came so that we would have life more abundantly. Now, I will take that covenant. I don't want to get by and hopefully make it on the old covenant. I want the whole enchilada, all that God has for me in the better covenant. And I want to laugh at the disciples. And this, I'll, one last verse before we get to uh, get back into the book. But the disciples sometimes they just they were so real and they asked Jesus some, some questions, and we probably would be the same too if we were uh, with them. But in Chapter 14 of John in verse 8 and 9, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. And I wanted to bring that out because Jesus himself says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And he's showing Philip and the disciples God's true nature. Hey, you've walked with me for three and a half years. You've seen my compassion for the people. You've seen my, uh, 
my hunger for a relationship with the, with the Father. You've seen the patience I have for people. You've seen my desire to heal people. You know, he's, he's showing Philip that, hey, whatever you've seen me do, however you've seen me treat people, this is how the Father so much more treats us. You know, it's, it's just showing us God's true nature. Alright, good. Well said. Alright, let's, uh, let's go to the next section called New Testament Transformation. A good friend of mine, whom I'll call Jill, has a long testimony that I'll cut very short here. She was orphaned when she was six years old. Her mother died, and her dad couldn't cope with the situation. He became a drunk. He put Jill in an orphanage and told her, I'll come back and visit you every Saturday. He came back the first Saturday, but he never came back again after that. Every Saturday, she got ready, dressed up, made herself look the best she could, and waited on her dad to come. All of her friends would tell her, he'll never come. He'll just be like all the others. But she said, not my dad. My dad loves me. He'll be here. She waited year after year, but her dad never did show up again. Jill began to feel this rejection. She began to hunger for people to love her. Every Saturday, people came to the orphanage to pick out the kids they were going to adopt. Jill would always put on her best dress, fix her hair, and be in her best behavior. Even though her heart was breaking inside, she would put on a smile and be happy because when people go to choose children from the orphanage, they don't usually pick the ones who need it the most. They usually don't pick the ones who cry and really need somebody to love them. They usually pick the ones who are going to bless them the most. Most people are motivated to please self in everything they do. That's the way they choose their mates. They don't pick people they can love and help to be all God wants them to be. They choose those they think will make them what they want to be. Those who are going to give them something. They're like vacuums, always sucking everything toward them. People coming to the orphanage were no different. They didn't select the children who needed them the most. Rather, they picked the ones they needed, they needed the most. And Jill learned, without anybody really teaching her, that she had to perform to be accepted. So she performed. She was always on her best behavior. Jill was never adopted, but she was able to overcome some of the natural setbacks. She was elected president of her senior class and became homecoming queen. She was voted most popular and most beautiful. She won all of the awards, but inside it was always just a performance to her. She never let anyone see the real her. Her whole life was performing, trying to earn the favor of somebody else. Finally, she met a man I'll call Ray. He was raised in a Christian home and had quite a bit going for him. He loved Jill and they got married. She couldn't cook, so she stayed long hours studying, learning to cook, and trying to come up with meals. Although her cooking was still terrible, Ray would eat the meals and not say a thing about them. Jill was always performing. She never let her husband see her in curlers or without makeup. She would get up early to make certain she was picture perfect before anybody saw her. She was trying to perform and keep this image of perfection going. Finally, after a few months of marriage, Jill and Ray got into an argument. Jill started crying. She said later that when she cried, she just looked terrible. Her nose got red, her eyes were red, her mascara was running, and she ruined her artificial appearance. She believed she finally ruined her performance. Right in the middle of the fight, she said to Ray, all right, leave me. I know you're going to divorce me. Just leave me and see if I care. Ray looked at her and said, divorce you? Just because we, degree on, we disagree on something? Jill, I love you. It doesn't matter whether we agree on everything or not. I'm not going to divorce you. The things he said totally broke her down. She couldn't believe somebody loved her even when her performance was not perfect. Despite her insecurity, her husband loved her unconditionally and let her know she didn't have to perform to earn his love. If she was at her very worst, he still loved her exactly the same. Ray's love, which was the unconditional love of Jesus working in his heart, changed Jill's life. Today, she is one of the most secure people I know because she doesn't have to perform anymore. 
She's secure in the love of God that she saw through her husband. It took a long period of time, but she has one of the most powerful testimonies I've ever heard. When Jill was telling her story, I identified with her. I wasn't really performing for other people, but I was performing for God. As I grew up, I performed spiritually all of my young life. I tried to do the very best I could, never say any cuss word, never take it a drink of liquor, and never smoke any cigarette. I was as good as I could possibly be, yet I probably felt more condemned and more unloved by God than the majority who were out in the world living in sin, drinking, partying, kicking up their heels, and doing everything else. I have shared how I used to wake up in a cold sweat having had a dream that I smoked a cigarette and was burning in hell for it. I also would go into restaurants and see all these dirty words scribbled on the bathroom walls, and just because I saw those words, I would leave there feeling totally guilty, condemned, and defiled. It took me days, weeks sometimes, to get over the exposure to that kind of stuff. People who were brought up in strict religious environments under condemnation have trouble relating to that. Right, right. Now, I really like that story about this Jill and this Ray and that unconditional love of her husband and whatnot. And, um, but anyway, just it's a beautiful picture of how God is, his nature. And, you know, when we don't have a healthy perception of who God is, it it's bondage. I mean, what she was living in was a form of bondage. And a lot of that was self-made in her own mind. She was trapped in a this performance cycle. Yeah, it started at a young age with her dad didn't show up time after time. You know, there's a lot of different triggers of how sometimes we get into these mindsets. Either how we taught, are taught or just how we believe. She thought she had to perform for her husband to love her. She thought she had to perform for people to accept her. Let alone God. And she, you know, she thought that, and the moment there was a, a, a conflict, the moment there was an argument, she thought it was over. She ruined it. You know, and that is not freedom. That is not a way to live. And yet, you know, you know, I had good parents and I had a good upbringing. Sherry did too, and, but I had to speak for myself. And, you know, I, I've been to church all my life and I don't have any reason to, to base this off of, but I just always had, I was in a sense always afraid of God and different things. And, I wasn't, you know, I didn't do uh, any of the things uh, Andrew talks about stuff, but I had my share of uh, my faults too, and uh, and so I mean I never drank, smoked, and all that stuff, and uh, I still wouldn't. I, I mean to me that's nasty. <laughs> I wouldn't know I do it. And that's, uh, I don't even drink soda, <laughs> and so I mean it just uh, it's not it's not gonna happen. There's no temptation there. Um, but at the same point in time, you know. Um, I just, because of some of the things I have done, and some of the sins I have committed, I was just, you know, I never knew if I was saved. I, 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 theologically I knew, but I just didn't, I wasn't sure. It wasn't until recent years when I finally understood the gospel that, uh, uh, you know, that I, I, I finally had confidence. And that confidence didn't get me to go out, I, I, and, go out and sin more. It actually set me free from some of the addictive lifestyles I was in. And it set me free all the more. When I understood the righteousness of God, that was my big thing. I mean, that's why I teach on it so much. When I understood righteousness, I understood who God was. I understood who I was. I understood who others were. And it set me free from some of my wrong thinking and some of my wrong behaviors. It set me free. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 34, Awake to righteousness and sin not. It doesn't say sin not to become righteous. It says awake to the righteousness you have, and that will enable you to sin. That's the way I took it, and that's the way it worked in my life. And I've seen people get set free through our ministry or who have been connected to our ministry from uh, uh, immoral lifestyles to... Uh, drugs and all kinds of addictions of all kinds when they understood righteousness and uh, and I understand God's nature and uh, trying to perform I mean Joseph Prince when he writes his book I believe it's Unmarried to Baker in the introduction he shares some of this stuff uh, how he used to just be 
confessed sin after sin after sin after sin, and there was no break. I mean, uh, he just, because anything that's not a faith of sin, we just read that a minute ago, so it's not just the same the things that he did that he knew were wrong. He also knew there were things that he was doing wrong all the time, but he wasn't doing some things that were right. Uh, and, and, and the Bible says, he who knows to do good, but doesn't do it, sins. I mean, we can be we can be confessing sins so the cows come home. You know, and I know there's a difference between, uh, you know, some of the things I'm describing versus just some blatant sin that we, what, what not. But, and neither one of them is okay. But, at the same point in time, what set me free and what got me on the path of living a right, righteous, holy life was knowing who I was. And, you know, it was hard for me to ever live a, 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 a holy life when I never thought I was holy to begin with. <laughs> it just seemed, uh, to some, there was times in my life I thought it was just hopeless. If I came and get on the horse, I don't know, how am I going to even ride it? And so I just thought I could never get right. I just never thought I could, you know. And uh, I knew I couldn't compare myself with others because Paul says comparing ourselves among ourselves is not wise. And I knew that God didn't grade on the curve, uh, you know. And so at the same point in time, you know, I was always trying to perform to please him. And I always thought everyone was displeased with me. And uh, uh, even though I did, uh, grew up in a good, uh, healthy home and stuff, I just always thought everyone disliked me uh, for different reasons. And I think a lot of that kicker was I didn't have a lot of friends. And I always wondered why, you know, if, if people don't want to be my friend, then something must be wrong with me. That was how I thought many years. And even into my adult life, I thought that, you know. And so, but I, I know that God does love me. I know that God does, does accept me. And when I finally got a revelation of uh, the gospel, the cross, and how much God loves me in his true nature, it set me free. Not to live in sin. I was already doing that uh, in, some, in some degree. Uh, what set me free is knowing who he, who he was and who I was. And that set me free. And it gave me hope. It gave me a purpose. And it's kind of like Jill here. When she finally got set free from this insecurity, she was able to live a, a much more powerful, godly life than she was when she was trying everything she had. You know, we need to rest in his goodness. And we need to rest and trust in him. Anyway, there's just a lot to get out of. I don't know if you get anything out of that, but anything you want to pick back up? So much. Uh, it really goes down to some verses that I'll just quote from memory, uh, not exact. And if you want the references, I'll be more than happy after to look them up. Uh, Dave has used the, the scripture before in Song of Solomon, uh, and he uses it as God the one speaking. But it's, you are all fair, my beloved. There is no spot or wrinkle in you. And the lover is speaking it to his love. It's like Christ speaking to his church. God isn't seeing our mess, our sin, our wrinkles, our inadequacies. That all was placed on Jesus Christ. And so God's lens that he sees us is... We, we are purified in Jesus Christ. We are holy in Jesus Christ. We are righteous in Jesus Christ. And if God was to focus on our sin and get honest for it, that's not fair to Jesus who took that on himself. <coughs> and in, in Ephesians, I believe it's 4 or 5, uh, it, it says that we are washed by his word. We are, as a bride gets ready for her wedding, Christ himself cleanses us and dresses us and makes us beautiful and clean and spotless by the washing of his word. He's the one that prepared his bride. And just like the story of, of Ray and Jill, you know, Jill, the bride, saw herself as less than adequate, as less than pleading, as in, 
if, if I am not perfect, nobody's going to love or accept me. But all Ray saw was, I love this woman that God gave me. And it didn't matter if she was having her mascara running down her face, her nose was red and skin was blotchy from crying. He just saw this woman that God gave him this gift. And there are so many times, and I'll use me as an example, that I'll be short or snippy with someone because I'm tired or whatever excuse I want to give in the moment. But I've been, I've been so blessed to be married to a husband and usually he gets the bulk of whenever I'm upset over something. So I'll snip at him, not because I'm mad at Dave, just because I'm just whatever, a mess in general. And I will feel so guilty that I was snippy or snapped at Dave or the words out of my mouth or whatever it was. I just felt like I was so ugly to my husband that I'll go to Dave and say, I'm so sorry. And I feel worse that I treated Dave this way than in the moment when I was just stupid in the flesh. 100% of Dave's response every single time for 20 plus years has been, that's okay. I don't, it's either I don't remember it or that's okay. I'm over it. Or his, he is so like, it's like God saying, I forgive you of your sins. Your sins are removed as far as the East is from the West. Dave's attitude towards me has always been, I don't remember. I don't remember what you did. I don't remember how you acted. And he will say, you know what? I understand you were tired. And he's totally like moved on and forgiven me and he still sees me as his bride and wife that he loves. And I've been so blessed. I don't want to take advantage of that, but it's a story, it's an allegory. Dave's living out Christ towards me, how Christ is living toward us, the church, and how this uh, Ray and Jill story is. That's how God's character is towards us. It's like, I understand. I get that you were in your flesh in the moment, but I see you as perfect and holy and righteous. I want to read Zephaniah 3.17, but I'm going to read it from the Amplified. I like how the Amplified says it, but Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God in the midst of you is a mighty one, a Savior who saves. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in silent satisfaction. And in his love, he will be silent and make no mention of past sins or even recall them. He will exalt over you with singing. I just love that. I mean, it's just our God. He dances. I mean, if you read the Hebrew, read the original language here, he dances over you with singing. He, and uh, I, I just love you rest in silent satisfaction. I mean, there's just a silent satisfaction of his love for you. And he and he makes uh, no mention or of past sins or even recalls them. That's love. That's who our God is. You know, he even says in the new covenant that we were just talking about, in Hebrews chapter 10, that God doesn't remember our sins no more. So if God doesn't remember our sins no more, what are we remembering them for? <laughs> and why are we pointing them out with everybody else? Uh, you know. And, and, and as a disclaimer or whatever the legal term is, just because God doesn't remember our sins does not mean he's given us license to sin. It does not mean he gives us grace to sin. As Paul himself says, does this give us freedom to, to sin? God forbid. God's grace helps us to deny ungodliness. We are to awake to righteousness and sin not. God is not soft on sin. I just want to make that clear. I know if you've heard, listened to Dave and I for a while now, you'll be like, yes, Sherry, you and Dave constantly say that. But we're, we just want to be very clear that God's grace and his love and forgiveness 
and his willingness to for, forgive our sins and not even think about and dwell on them anymore does not give us the freedom to sin. Sin is ugly. It's horrible enough for Jesus to die on the cross for so that we would have right relationship with God. God is not soft on sin. He does not, he is not okay with sin, but what he wants is to love us and have a relationship with us. Amen. Amen. A lot more we can say about that. How are we on time? Ten yeah, ten minutes. How uh, long is this that last section? Right next to I don't know if we'll have time to, to finish all that and go over it too long. So anyway, um, you know, and, and why is God not soft on sin? He's not soft on sin because he poured out all of his wrath on Jesus. It, it really comes down to if we receive Jesus or we don't. And uh, again, you know, sin, even though God, Christ has forgiven it, sin will open it, it will give an inroad to Satan to work in your life. The Bible says in Galatians, Paul says, if we sell to the flesh, of the flesh will reap corruption. A lot of the corruption that people are seeing in their lives is not coming from God; it's coming from sin. <laughs> yep. You know, if you don't, if you don't like the harvest you're getting, stop sowing that seed. If you don't like corn, stop sowing corn. Sow what you want. You know, uh, if you know, if you sow to the flesh, you're going to keep reaping corruption. But if you want the good seed, you want a good harvest, so good. Uh, you know, if you sow to the Spirit, you reap life. Uh, I can't even think of how it goes. But you, uh, life and peace, I think it goes. And so, you know, uh, every, every word we say, every action we do is a seed. And, uh, you know, when you say something to somebody... Let's just say you say something mean to somebody. You can ask for their forgiveness, and that would be that would be proper. That would be correct. But if they take that seed of what you just said, and they mow it over, it's just it's, for example, if you tell somebody they're ugly, and then you realize you're wrong, you go back and you you ask for their forgiveness. But if they took that word and they mowed it over. They think I'm ugly. I'm ugly. And they're, they're watering that seed over and over and over again. You can apologize and rightfully so. But that seed is sown. Now it's up to them to, to plow that seed up. And by God's grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit, they got to plow that up. they got to remove that seed. That's why it says in Isaiah 54, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every word that rises up in judgment against you, you shall condemn. It's kind of like toothpaste out of a tube. You can't get the tube. If you, if you squeeze that tube, you can't get that toothpaste back in that tube. <laughs> they use machines and special uh, equipment to get that, that, that paste in the tube to begin with. But once you say something, that, that word you just said is a seed. But it's just it's flipped the coin. What if you said someone and you just, you just made their day? You said something that just, you know, you're beautiful. I just like how uh, how beautiful you are. And you just made their day. And they mow over that all day long. I'm beautiful. I'm beautiful. I'm, I'm precious. Whatever, however you encourage them. And they, mow, they water that seed. And how that seed can go a long ways. You know, I've heard people just say, you know, just a simple smile has made their day. Has even changed their life. Everything we do. Everything we say is a seed for somebody else. I want to sow good seed. And, uh, you know, we've had uh, differences. We've had, you know, we've both had bad days. It's one thing when we have a bad day and we're tired. And, she's, and I've been grumpy just like she's been grumpy. So uh, she'll disagree with that. But uh, 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 that's what we're disagreeing right now about. But anyway, uh, just, uh, uh, it just, uh, but at the same point in time, you know, and the, the worst part is when we're both grumpy at the same time, uh, you know. That's when we have what I call those intense negotiations, <laughs> uh, which I got that from Star Wars movie. But, you know, we, we uh, by God's grace, we learn to, to make up and get things right. And that doesn't make it okay. 
But we have to constantly uh, encourage and edify one another and whatnot. And I, I hope that makes sense. But, you know, we get so much junk all day long from the world, from social media, from ourselves. You know, we are the worst critics of ourselves. I don't know about you, but I've been in arguments with myself before. <laughs> and I don't know who won. <laughs> but have you ever been grumpy at yourself? you ever been just in a bad mood just because you were mad at you? And uh, you just uh, it starts coming out at other people. But we are the worst critics towards ourselves. But how do we change that? How do we, we, we need to know God. We need to know God. You know, we love because he first loved us. You're not going to change your attitude towards God, towards others, towards yourself, until you first change your, your attitude, how much he loves you. It starts there. The Bible says in Galatians, I think it's 5, 8, Faith works by love. Your faith won't even work without love. And so, so the key is knowing how much God loves you, knowing his nature, how much he loves you. Jill, using back that story, I just really like that story, she performed and she did well. But she, how much, I think she did even better instead of trying to perform, just allowing her to be Jill. I don't think, I think Jill forgot who she was. I think it took, <clears throat> that was so buried in all this performance for all these years that it took a while. Jill didn't even know who she was anymore. But she finally found who she was in Christ. And the, trans, the title of that session was, uh, I think, New Testament Transformation. There was a transformation that took place. And when I understood God's grace and God's love and His righteousness, it's transformed my life. I mean, I'm just ruined in a good way. You know, it's just transformed my life. You can't convince me that I'm not righteous. You can't convince me that my grandfather doesn't love me. You can't convince me I'm not saved. You're too late. I'm convinced. Now, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean there's not some areas that I still can, can work on and that God can still work on into me. But I know he loves me. And I know I'm saved. And I know that I'm his precious child. And you can't convince me otherwise. I'm just, I'm sold out on that. But uh, there's some, there might be some areas I still struggle with. Uh, uh, you know, sometimes I still struggle with receiving healing, but I don't uh, struggle with finances too much. God has met our needs, and we've had some awesome testimonies that God has met our needs. I'm not saying everything's always a bed of roses. We've had some scares. We had some scares earlier this year, uh, different things, uh, some circumstances. But uh, God, when we put our when we get our eyes off the storm, we get our eyes on Jesus and His nature. He's our Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. That's His nature. And then I don't have to perform for Him to provide. I just need to trust Him that He, my Daddy, will, my Abba, will provide and meet my needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And when you trust Him, when you know Him, you don't have to perform. You just need to sit on your Daddy's lap and say, come boldly to this Son of Grace. You know, you can bully to his throne of grace and he's your daddy. You can bully Cherry, like using the example of the movie The King and I, where the daughter just knew she could come boldly and talk to the king, not as her king, but as her Abba. And so, uh, anyway, it's just, uh, when you have a proper perception of who God is, it would change everything about you. There, there's a, a, I guess I could say a folk tale that, that I learned in elementary school that I have kept in my heart basically even up through my adult years because obviously I'm still uh, referring to it but uh, I forget the reason why our teacher at the time uh, told this story to us but as a Christian as a Christ follower it is such a beautiful example of God and his love and grace in even my own life that I love this story uh, so I'll, I'll call it a folktale because I don't know what else to, to call it. But obviously it takes place in, I'll say, a jungle village um, in, a, in a culture where the, the, the man would offer a payment for a wife. So if, if it was an advantageous, good uh, marriage... 
I, I'm trying to like figure out how to explain it in words to, to, to help explain the story. But the better the offer, the, the better the marriage. So if you were like someone important in town and someone uh, wanted your daughter, uh, their hand, their, your daughter's hand in marriage, they would offer a lot of livestock, a lot of cows, a lot of whatever it was that they used for, for money um, to pay for their bride. And the, the better the marriage, the more cattle they would, they would offer to, to pay for their bride to be. And there was this young woman in the village who, lack of better terms, was the ugliest in the village. And so her dad was thinking that if anyone offered for her hand in marriage, if that ever took place, he would not get very much. But someone uh, well off in the village fell in love with her. And so he offered so much cattle for her hand that the family was blown away and she was blown away. And they went on their honeymoon, so to speak. They you know, took their time. And when they came back, the village couldn't recognize her. She was the most beautiful woman in the village because she was loved and accepted. And she didn't have the self-esteem problems she used to have because she used to think, I'm ugly, no one's gonna love me, no one's gonna accept me. I'm gonna, if I do get married, it'll be to a bad husband who won't, and I'll just, you know, I'll just be basically a slave. But this man who fell in love with her saw the treasure she was. And like Ray and Jill in the book, in the, in the testimony that Andrew shared, this, this young man, this husband, saw her worth. So he treated her that she was a jewel, that she was beautiful, that she was priceless. And that totally changed her. And that's, to me, the story of Christ and his church, how Christ sees us as not something ugly and broken and, and not worth it, but as a priceless jewel that he loves tenderly. And um, Christ's love in my own life has changed my life. So sometimes, whether it be with Dave or Christ, I feel like I'm this young woman who just is now the most beautiful in the village because of the worth that her husband put on her. And that's that's a story of Christ in the church. Amen. That's awesome. Well, we got two good stories now to base this off of. Uh, anyway, well, we're out of time for tonight, so uh, we're going to come back next week, and we're almost done. We're almost in the last chapter. Like I said, once we're done with this book, we're going to go right into... Uh, effortless change and this is a really good book a little longer book but this is talking about the parable of the sower this is talking about uh, sowing good seed and receiving the seed of God's word and seeing it produced in our life uh, the seed of God's word anyway we'll get into that later uh, let me just pray us out and uh, we'll see you on, on Wednesday night as we uh, continue our study of the new year and the Holy Spirit that will be at uh, six, no, 7 o'clock on Wednesday night and uh, um, anyway, Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a good, good father, that you love us. You are a good husband to us. And we worship you, and we just thank you. Lord, I, I just pray all for all who may be listening. Lord, there's be someone listening needs a healing of any kind. Lord, we just thank you for that by your stripes we were healed. And we just uh, rebuke that sickness, that infirmity in Jesus' name. And we speak the life of Jesus to flow through their veins. And we just, Lord, we thank you, Lord, if, if there's anyone here who just needs provision, needs wisdom. Lord, I know there's a lot of people out of work because of COVID and all that's going on in our world right now and different things. And Lord, I thank you that you are our source. And we thank you for supplying your needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Lord, we just thank you for that. If we need wisdom, for those who need wisdom, I thank you for giving them that wisdom generously. Lord, we pray for our nation right now. Uh, Lord, uh, Lord, I 
just thank you for your peace. I thank you for your wisdom for our president in these next two weeks. And Lord, I thank you for our, uh, I just pray for our country. Lord, I just, I just, uh, Lord, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that your will be done. I thank you for justice. I thank you for truth. I thank you for uh, safety and provision. I thank you that you be exalted in this country. God bless America. In your name we give you. We give you thanks. We give you praise. And we give you honor. And in Jesus' name we give you thanks. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you guys. We'll see you on Wednesday. Have a great week. And we'll see you soon.